You're listening to Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jamin. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. It's Michael Jamin. You're listening to Screenwriters Need to Hear This. I'm here with Phil A. Hudson. What up? What up? And uh, we're doing part two of the uh, Ask Me Anything. And Phil yeah, has some see, more questions. These are designed for, what kind of questions are these, Phil? Yeah, so, so a ton of questions came in. So we're moving into professional questions, what I kind of uh, grouped that way. Part one, if you missed it, we're, if you missed it, that was questions about craft, or craft, craft. right? Yeah. And these are about questions about professional and what else? Uh, um, aspirational questions, aspirational. like breaking in, and then some general stuff. So, yeah. all right. You ready for this? I'm ready. All right. Professional. Oh, and by the way, the way these people, just if you're new to the podcast, the way people ask these questions is on my social media profile, on Instagram, at Michael Jammin Writer, every couple of months, we, place, we post a blue tile that says, ask me anything. And so if you have questions that I haven't answered, that's, that's where you do it. Put it up there and we'll talk about it. Yep. Awesome. Uh, professional question number one from Give, Give Shrimp a Chance, which I think is probably one of the best Instagram t- names I've ever heard. Uh, that's I, good. I will give them a chance, actually. Yeah. Michael, you're vegan, pescatarian, vegetarian. What are you technically? I say I'm a vegan, but I do eat fish from every once in a while for protein. Pes- but I don't eat any some pescatarian. I don't, then yeah. I guess you could say that, but because I, I don't eat any dairy. Got it. Yeah. So you're yeah. vegetarians or vegetarian pescatarians or vegetarians who eat fish. You're not that because you're vegan, but you eat fish yeah. occasionally. Got it. Yeah. Cool. Um, good question here. I thought I thought it was interesting. Uh, when you are a writer's assistant, do you ask for an episode or wait until one is offered or draft possible story areas and send them to the showrunner just in case? Asking for a well, friend. Good question. Well, you definitely want to put in your time. You wouldn't if you're if you got promoted to writer's assistant, you don't want to in season one start asking for an episode. You got to earn the right to be there. So you got to be there for a full year, and then this is how I feel. And then after, once you're there for a you know, full year or two or whatever, then you can approach your boss and say, hey, I'd love to be considered for a freelance episode. I'd love to be able to pitch you an idea. And you should have all these ideas on the ready. I mean, you're, you're there. So I don't, you, can do, you can come up with ideas season one. But I, I, I kind of, you want to make it so that they owe you, so that the showrunner owes you one, so that you're, you're loyal uh, and you've put in the time, and this is the least they can do is to repay you by giving you an episode. There's also a very clear level of trust displayed if you come back for a second season, right? Yeah, it means they like you, yeah. Yeah, so that so it means that they are looking at you for those opportunities or already considering you. I do, and this is, my apologies, I want to say we brought this up last year, so forgive me mm-hmm. if this is a little redundant, but I do know that in screenwriting Twitter, there was some conversation about how sometimes you get staffed as a writer's assistant and then your show gets canceled. And then you yeah. move to another show and you're a writer's assistant there and then that show gets canceled. Mm-hmm. And that's a process. And so there are people who have been writer's assistants for like five seasons and mm-hmm. they may not have ever been on a show for two seasons. What about yeah. in a situation like that where you're Sucks. new people? Yeah. Sucks for you. I mean, it's just, what are you going to do? That's just, the, that's just the way it goes. Uh, yeah, that... That requires luck. What are you going to okay. do? Here, here's a political question in regard to the subject, which is um, I'm a writer's assistant. Below me, right, there's a writer's PA. And above me, there's a script coordinator. And the script coordinator wants to write freelance episodes probably as well. Yeah. How do you navigate that 
Because you've got someone else, technically, in my opinion, this is just my experience, they have seniority over you because they've yeah. probably been working with them longer. It's the same thing. I mean, the, the, but the bottom line is um, it's, it's very hard. But, but getting a freelance episode really isn't like, it's not like it's going to make your life. It's going to make you feel good about yourself. You're gonna, it's going to be a, a badge of honor. But after that freelance episode, you're, you're kind of back where you started from. You're still a writer's assistant. You still have to break in as a staff writer to get full-time employment. So, and, and often it's not uncommon for a writer's assistant to get their shot and kind of blow it. It's just not, it's, they don't do a good enough job. It's, it's hard. And so you really want to be ready. Uh, you know, the pressure is on, I, I get it. So, but, um, that freelance episode is probably not going to make your career. It's just going to feel good. It's going to feel good. And that will help. That might get you by for, that might be enough to, you know, encourage you to keep at it for a couple more years, but it's not going to set you up for life. So, right. so don't celebrate too early. Uh, I mean, or don't be crushed too early if you don't get one. In other words. Yeah. Gotcha. All right, cool. Uh, Ivan G Garcia. Oh. Apologize, guys. This is all my eyes. I'm getting old, Michael. My eyes. Mm -hmm. Ivan Garcia six six two two. What are the basic things any screenwriter should know? I know it's a really broad, but I thought it was a really interesting conversation to have. Yeah. Well, okay. First of all, do you know what a story is? And most people do not know how what a story is, right? I mean, honestly. Let me interject there too. I had a class in college at a screen at a film school where I was mm -hmm. taking a screenwriting class and the teacher asked us to define what a story is. And I knew because you had given me your answer. And I sat around and looked at the room and no one no one raised their hand and a couple of people said something and the teacher kind of brushed it off. And then I gave your answer to them. And he mm -hmm. just like had this aha moment and he literally went and changed his slides to include your answer to this. Yeah, so the teacher that didn't quite know. And you can get that free at michaeljammon.com slash free. That's a, the first lesson in Michael's course. He gives it away for free. Go get it. It is absolutely important. I, like, I, how are you going to write a story if you can't define it, you know? And you think you know what a story is or, or it's such a weird question. Like in your gut, you, I must know what a story is. But honestly, if you can't define it, you might get lucky once or twice, but you're not going to do it on a consistent basis. You're just not. Yeah. So there's that. So, and don't, yeah. And most people don't know, and including some screenwriting teachers. <laughs> don't <know that. laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So story uh, stories a must know, um, and mm -hmm. the definition of story. And if I recall from conversations with you from years back, you told me that that's something you often, when you get lost in a story, it's because you're mm -hmm. missing one of those elements of story, and you yeah, have to go put absolutely. it back in. Absolutely. I we were, you know, I talked about this before, but when I was running, my partner running Marin first season, uh, we did a, it was the first day of shooting. And we did a rewrite on a scene and we, and, and then Mark was in the middle of the scene and he's like, what am I doing here? What am I supposed to be playing here? What's going on? And he starts yelling at me because the scene wasn't working and, and he was right. The scene was not working. And it was because in the rewrite I had dropped or we had dropped one of the elements uh, that we needed required. And he was right. The scene did not work. And so I had to go back and rethink and we, I, I we threw in another line that fixed everything. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's that important is like the actor's, Without it, the actors are going to be lost. The audience is going to be lost. You're going to be lost. You're going to struggle when you write. You're going to be like, what What am I, why am I getting bored with my own piece? Which is so common 
that people get bored with their own writing, which is why they lose motivation, which is why they don't, uh, you know, they, they feel like the writing's all over the map, which is why like they do too much rewriting because they don't, they still don't know what's good. Uh, all this comes, I, there's really no screenwriting 102. It's all screenwriting 101. Yeah. Learn 101. All right. So you need to know story. Yeah. Formatting comes to mind, but that can be Formatting. done in software, right? Yeah. Right. And That's so, the least so important can, thing. But that, that's a place people get so bogged down. And I know this mm -hmm. is true for me. I probably spent a year reading books on formatting They're on the shelf back here behind me of just here's how you format this. And right. here's how you do this. Here's how you do that. What I've found now is that I've absorbed and assimilated a lot of that just from reading scripts. Like right up here, that's printed scripts that are just mm -hmm. printed off. You, you learn how other writers, you like how they do things. But also... Um, you can literally just Google this as you go along if you get stuck. And there are plenty of things that yeah. kind of explain it to you. So don't get too bogged down in formatting, but you have to know formatting because it is one of the things people are going to look at and they'll judge right away whether or not you're a professional. Yeah, it should be. You should. You can learn it. Uh, and just to be clear, like sometimes my partner will make it up. Like if we're writing some, a scene that kind of the, the formatting is, is, is unusual with like it's a phone call within a phone call or something odd, we go, well, let's just write it like this. As long as it's clear for the reader, it's fine. Yeah. No one's going to... You know, and if the AD has a problem with it, okay, fine. We'll change it when the AD, like, I don't, it's fine. The AD want, or the writer system wants to change it. Okay, fine. This is how we're going to do it though. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Okay. So for, is there anything else that comes to mind? Like, is there anything else that a writer, uh, and again, basic thing a screenwriter should know? Well, you know, uh, you should know that your first sample, everyone writes a script and they want to sell it. And I always say, you're not going to sell it. You should just write it, write it as a sample. It's a calling card to get you work. And so look at it that way, which means you're going to be, it's a, as a writing sample, you're going to be judged on the quality of your writing. And so don't get so hung up on, on, uh, you know, can, I want to sell it. I want to make a million dollars. It's, that's like starting at the, the mountain at the top. You got to start the mountain at the bottom and work your way yeah. up. Yeah. Got it. Anything else? I don't think so. Okay, maybe I, I will say that you cover a lot of this stuff in the course. So again, if anyone's mm -hmm. interested in that, michaeljam.com slash course, go get how to, free fit, how to actually sit down and do it. How, yeah. That's what we yeah. cover. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did hear someone because structure is the other thing that comes to mind and you cover that extensively in the course, uh, as yeah. well as the writing process professionals use. I will say I did hear someone recently say that what you teach can be found in other places, but the way you teach it and the way you label specific things is just kind of a duh, like, oh, duh. It's yeah. like you can't misunderstand that. And I think that's beautiful from like a, uh, just getting information across perspective and a teaching perspective. I mean, that's why some of the early, early testimonials we got for the course were that you're not only a great writer, but a great teacher. I think it's because it's, mm. it's a no brainer way you explain these things that are very convoluted yeah. and confusing. A lot of times writer screenwriting teachers, I think make it harder than it needs to be is like, no, just make it simple. It's try to make it smart. I got like, 20 screenwriting books on the shelf back there and it wasn't until mm -hmm. i took your course and again we you've been mentoring me for a while but it wasn't until i took your course that i was like yeah that's just a no duh like i should just be doing it that way i should think about it and conceptualize it that way because it's not you know inciting incidents and it's not convoluted yeah. deeper mythical structure which I, I totally am not knocking i'm just saying it's a, an easy way to think about that process yeah, so i'm beating the dead horse i apologize about that but i do think it's absolutely worth it so go check it out yeah. all right uh i mean, has a follow-up question should i always feel confident and proud of my work 
how should I take criticism from someone who I don't think knows best? Well, you should be proud of yourself for sitting down and actually writing a script because most people say they want to do it and they don't do it. So good for you for doing it. How should you take criticism from someone from someone who doesn't know what they're talking about? Is that what he said? Yeah, someone who I don't think knows best. <laughs> and you don't. I mean, you know, uh, and that's a lot of people. Uh, you know, what? there's valid criticism and there's stuff that, that is not valid. So if someone says, uh, if someone says, I don't, I think you should focus more on these characters, or I think the story should be about this. That's not valid criticism. That's someone who's just trying to rewrite your work. If someone that's I, honestly, and if people tell you that, tell them to go, you know, pound sand because that's, it's not helpful. <laughs> what they can tell you is I didn't understand what you were going for here. I didn't understand what this character, what the relationship was. I didn't understand why the ending was meaningful. That is irrefutable. That comment is because they're just saying you can't even argue with that. You're saying they're saying they don't understand it, and you can you can't argue with that. They didn't understand it. So if you want to make that more clear, you could work on that in your piece. Or if you want to ignore it altogether, you could say, "Well, I don't want you to understand it. I don't know why you'd ever do that. I, I think that'd be I don't, I don't think confusing your audience is ever a good idea." But but uh, those are the kind of notes that someone can give you that are helpful and irrefutable. And you can give it to your mom. And if your mom reads your script and and uh, you know takes her a month to read it because it wasn't any good, you, you know, it, it, you you ask her, listen, did you want to turn the page? Did you want to find out what happens next, or did it feel like a homework assignment? And that's anyone can anyone can give you that note. Yeah, it felt a little bit like a homework assignment. Then you know your script is not ready. If it feels like a gift and they want to read what they want to read your next work, you might be on to something. Yeah, no, I told you. So when I turned that corner, when I finally got that thing, I opened a beer. My friend said, I opened a beer to read your script. And at mm -hmm. the end, I realized I hadn't even taken a sip of my beer. That's good. Right. I was like, that was huge. Like, that was hugely, I mean, I never received any type of compliment like that yeah, before. That's good so, writing. Right. Yeah. So, awesome. Uh, moving on, McLean555. I thought this was a really, really smart question. Is plagiarism a problem among screenwriters? Which I think is the typical question. But mm -hmm. uh, then he, he or she, how can a writer avoid doing it themselves? Oh, plagiarizing. Uh, how to avoid well, plagiarizing. Yeah. I don't know how big of a problem it is. I mean, when you're writing in a writer's room, none of the writers are going to steal from you. And, and the idea is, is, is specific to the characters you have on the show. And so... I mean, no, we're, I'm not going to steal your idea because we're going to put it on next week's episode. I mean, you're you're going to shoot it. Uh, in terms of stealing ideas, often in a writer's room, someone will say, oh, they I just saw that episode two weeks ago on whatever show. And, and then usually the writers will go, ugh, we will, we'll kill the idea. So that's not plagiarizing. That's coming up with the idea independently and then killing it because you don't want people to think you plagiarized. Um, and often there are similar... Uh, Often they're just similar things in the zeitgeist that come out at the same time. And, but I, I don't, it's not really an issue that we really concern ourselves with plagiarizing, you know? I, yeah. I, at least I don't, I've never really, really talked about plagiarizing. I think there's a level of homage too that's being, like, mm -hmm. people are playing homage. So, did you ever watch the show White Collar? No. So White Collar loved this show. And then there's like this big moment at the end of a season where the guy gets in a limo and he takes a drink of cocktail and he wakes up and he's at this place. And I was like, where have I seen that before? And then a couple of months later, I pop in uh, Mission Impossible 3 and that's literally a thing that happens uh -huh. in that. And I was like, oh, okay, that feels a little lazy to me. But 
there are plenty of other times where people are doing things like workaholics, for example, they will totally base the premise of an episode off of a famous comedy and you kind of get what's going on there. Like they're mm -hmm. paying homage to that. Yeah. And it's like, they're, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel icky at all. Yeah. Right. So right. yeah, it's, uh, it's like porn, right? You know it when you see it. You know it when you see it. There you go. All right. Sandy, Sandy T63. What aspects of being a professional screenwriter do you wish people gave you a heads up about? And what are the struggles that nobody really talks about? Uh, well, I don't know what, I mean, someone gave me a heads up about, like I knew it was going to be hard. I wasn't naive. I knew it was going to be hard. Uh, it's gotten harder as I've, as the industry's changed and no one who who's going to who could have predicted that who could have told give me a heads up uh that these oh, seasons yeah. orders would have gotten shorter you know it, when i broke in we were doing 22 episodes a season now you're you might be doing 10 and so you get paid per episode and so it's a little harder you need to string a, it's harder to string across uh you string a career together now than it was back then but who could have told me that uh there was you know the writer strike was 2000 Eight, 2007, 2008. And um, back then we were striking over something called streaming. And everyone's like, what's streaming? What's video on demand? What is VOD? What does that even mean? No one knew what it was except for the Writers Guild. And they knew this was something that we needed to get coverage on. And so uh, that's why you have a good guild. And so that was the strike to make sure that writers would get the same benefits if their show aired on a streaming network as opposed to a traditional network. And by the way, who, ca I don't, who cares how people are consuming it? It's the same amount of work. It's the same amount of creativity. I don't care if you're putting it with it. You have a, uh, my show implanted in your tooth and you're watching it in your brain. It's the same amount of work for me. So how do I, why would I care if it's streamed on a, through the internet or if it comes through on, you know, a satellite dish, who cares? And so uh, luckily there are smart people at the guilds who, who saw that coming. Yeah. Um, anything else come to mind? Any other struggles you deal with as a professional writer? Uh, well, I don't know. Do you have something in mind, Phil? Well, it was just that there was a John August, um, written a ton of stuff. He had a blog post years ago talking about how to budget your money from your first sale. And that was one of the things oh. that I was like, that's really smart. I don't think people are talking about you've sold something. Now, what do you do? And he broke it down and he did finances and there's a spreadsheet. And you can go check it out. John com. But that, that's some pretty interesting information about it. So I just wasn't sure if there was anything else that like you stumbled upon as a writer later in your career. Um, well, I kind of knew that as a, just growing up, like, you, you know, don't live beneath your means. Uh, always, always. And I remember someone, when I was first buying a house, I remember I got advice from someone, I won't say who it was, but I at the time I was like, this is terrible advice. And he was a very uh, successful showrunner. He was like, uh, whatever house you can buy, buy more. Push yourself because you know, you're going to make a lot of money. And so push yourself to buy a bigger house so you can. And I'm like, that sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> no, my, my father always told me to live beneath my means. And thank God I listened to my dad and not him because you're going to go through. It's feast or famine. So I'll go months, months without making money. And then I'll have a job and I'll make money again. And then, but I never know how long the famine's going to last. I just don't know. No one, we, none of us do. Yeah. And, you know, there's talk of a recession coming up. So that's mm -hmm. now's the time to be thinking about that stuff as well. Um, I think we very quickly forget how bad things are when things are good. And we've been 
as bad as things have been, we've been pretty good for a while. Yeah. So, you know, we had this conversation because I just moved recently in August. I moved to a much bigger house, and I just remember laying awake for like weeks, saying, "How am I mm -hmm. going to afford this?" And I could totally afford it. I would have never even moved if it didn't make sense from a percentage of my income, because I too was taught to live below my means. But I still stressed about it because it's the most amount of money I've ever put into a home. Right. Mm -hmm. Same thing. You gotta you gotta think about those things and where the next check's gonna come and how you're gonna eat and how you know you have a family, how you're gonna feed your family. So mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Enough about my house. Sorry guys. I know you're here to listen to Michael, not me. But I appreciate you <laughs> yeah, uh, <we> <laughs> I appreciate you uh entertaining. Real estate me. Woes. That's right. <laughs> uh Holden underscore levy underscore. When writing a spec script, something that you did not create yourself for a studio. What is the most important thing to include in the script? Asking is I'm applying for an internship where they're asking us to write a spec scene for an existing show. So you want me to rephrase that? Yeah. What? He, yeah. Yeah. So Holden says, hey, I'm applying for this internship and they're asking me to write a spec script from this uh, spec scene from this episode, this existing show. Is there anything in particular I should be including there? Because it's not something I made. I'm, it's a spec. Right. Uh, it's easier to write a spec script than it is an original piece. I, far easier, I think. I mean, you have to know how to tell a compelling story. Eh? I mean, this is honestly, this is what we teach in the writing course that we that we have at my screenwriting course. But uh, is there anything you should put in? Yeah, a good story and a good A story with, with high stakes and a compelling B story. And you should be able to have, the characters should be doing things that seem consistent with the characters. You shouldn't be having uh, guest stars that drive the story. You shouldn't be, ha and all this I teach, you shouldn't have um, guest stars that have more lines than the regular characters. I mean, it should be about the characters in the show. I don't know why, I don't know what kind of internship it, it is that requires you to submit a spec it's a spec, script. It's a spec scene. So they keep the, it's literally, they just- It's a scene. It's a scene. Yeah, I can't. I don't even know why 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 they would want. Aren't you just gonna be making coffee? <laughs> what are they gonna give you? Uh, but that, yeah. I mean, if it's just a scene, same thing. What I, I just said, but on a smaller scale. You know, make sure the characters are consistent and doing. Make, this, make sure they pop. Make sure that there's something expressed. There's your conflict. Voice, you know? Yeah. Make sure your your the tone is right of the show. The consistent with the show. Don't do something totally off balance that the show would never have done. But you're like, woo, woo, you know, oh, this is a horror episode of this show. But they don't do horror episodes on this show. Yeah, but what if they did? No, do it should be as <laughs> consistent of what they actually did. Sure. Representative. Awesome. All right, I apologize if I'm going to mispronounce this. <clears throat> Najo underscore type life. It could also be Najo because it's, it's a J. Uh, you're you're a polyglot. You speak more than one language. You speak three, Italian, Spanish, English. Yeah, a little bit of English, conversational English. It, it, nice. Good for you. Um, mm -hmm. You ever get, get your pronunciation super screwed up when you read words? Najo. N-A-J-O. Uh, between Spanish and Italian? Or yeah, just... anything. So for me, I speak English oh, yeah. Spanish fluently. But whenever I talk to anyone, you could be Korean, you come up and talk to me, my brain wants to speak Spanish to you. Just out of the box. Oh, yeah. I was talking to the comedian uh, Frank Caliendo, right? Caliendo is Italian. He's an Italian name, but he goes, that's not how he pronounces it. It's Caliendo. And I'm like, mm, you're saying your name wrong. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I digress. Same thing with Mike Birbiglia. You know, I'm like, no, Mike, that's not how you say your last name. The, how do you say his last name? Was birbilia. That's yeah. that's how you'd say in Italian, but that's yeah. not how he says it. I like the handshake. I like the handshake too. While you're they doing all it. talk with the hands. 
It's beautiful. Digress. Back to the back to the question at hand. How do I prepare for a general meeting with a large full caps production company with a development exec as a screenwriter? Good question. So a general meeting, they're just they want to make sure you're not a, a drooling idiot. I would go in there uh, with some knowledge of what they do. So do get on IMDb, do do a Google search of what kind of movies or TV shows they've made in the past, so you can have educated conversations. So you could say, "Hey, what? I love this project that you made." Everyone likes being told that you like that you're a fan of their work. So that's easy. A Google search, talk about what they've done, compliment them, and then be prepared to talk about yourself and what you what kind of projects you want to do. And it's going to be very tempting to go in and say, "I can do everything." And that's not the truth. Find out, you know, if you're a drama writer, what kind of drama do you do? If you're a comedy writer, what kind of comedy do you do? And and tell them what you want to do and what you excel at. And that way you're making you're making their job easier. If you tell them exactly what you do, which is I do high concept thrillers or whatever, uh, then when they have a project in mind or a need, they're going to think of you. If you tell them I can do everything, they're not going to think of you, you, you know. Put yourself in a box to make it easy for them to employ you. So th that's your preparation. And you could talk about, you should also be prepared to talk about what shows you like. They're going to say, hey, what shows are you watching? So you're going to say, oh, I watched uh, White Lotus. It's, uh, and then be prepared to talk about what you liked about it. You know? Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. Cool. Uh, Jeremy M. Rice, how much of show running is budgeting and managing a staff? Uh, all of it. But it's not really... Um, it is managing a staff. You, you're in charge of the staff, the writing staff. And, you know, most people don't become comedy writers, especially to, to become, you know, management. Like that we, we become writers because we don't want to go into management. And so suddenly you're the boss of the show and now you have to manage these other writers. And it's kind of like, I don't really know how to, it's a skill that you have to kind of acquire real fast. And so it's about motivating people, keeping people, uh, encouraging them so that they can give you their best. I feel it's important not to waste their time if people feel like they're hostages, they're not going to give you their best work. They're going to feel beaten down. I like to empower people because that's how you get the best work out of them. Um, in terms of budgeting, you know, the budget is set. And I don't even look at those numbers when I'm running the show. I'll just say, I'll ask the producer, can we do this? Uh, the line producer. And the line producer doesn't even always know. Often they'll come back to you. They'll say, I think we can do this if we steal from this episode. So... You know, I think we can shoot an amusement park if we steal at this episode and you make this real, we don't spend a lot of money here. Can you do that? And so, okay, yeah, I can have fewer sets and fewer actors and fewer everything to make this happen. So it's a lot, it's a conversation. That's why it's very collaborative uh, and you work closely with the department heads as a showrunner to get hopefully your your what your vision made. But I, I always try to stay on budget because the last thing you want to do is give the studio a reason to fire you. Sure. Uh, this goes back to like one of our early, early episodes. When you're staffing a show, are you considering budgets at all? Or are you just saying, these are the people I want to hire? And then you hear back and say, well, we can or we can. No, they tell you. They're, they'll come right out and they tell you, okay, you have enough money to hire one showrunner. Usually they'll say this. Uh, we want you to have a big staff, so we want you to hire... 10 staff writers. And then I'll come back and say, I don't want 10 staff writers. I would rather have one really good co-executive producer. And then and then if there's money left over, we'll hire some staff writers. A lot of voices to me are not good in the room. I'd rather have qualified people who know what you're talking about than, than I don't need a million ideas. I just need someone who can write a really damn good script. Got it. You know? So you'd, you'd rather put the money towards talent and capability over... Yeah, I always prefer a top-heavy show. Meaning... 
experienced writers. I think that's general. That's generally true. I would say from my, what I've seen, at least. And I'm but yeah, but often they want you, the people. Often the people with the purses they tell you the they want the opposite because they don't know. And so they're like, no, no, we want you to have a lot of different voices. I don't want a lot of different voices. That's the last thing I want. I want people who can do the job. Hey, it's Michael Jammin. If you like my videos and you want me to email them to you for free, join my watch list. Every Friday, I send out my top three videos. These are for writers, actors, creative types. You can unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm not going to spam you. And it's absolutely free. Just go to michaeljammin.com slash watch list. Ivan Garcia 6622 is back. If I wish to become a professional writer, does it mean I should drop everything and just write all day, every day? Well, I don't know how you're going to do that without paying. You got to pay the bills. But um, you can certainly drop all your pastimes and become a writer. Like you have to go to work and, you know, and, and, but after work, yeah, what you should be writing. You should be writing every day regardless. And, uh, and I, I heard a great quote. I think, who was it? I think it was Stephen King said this. I was like, oh, that makes, yeah, that, I like the way he said it. You know, when you're inspired, you write. When you're when you exhausted and you just don't have it in you in the can, then you should be reading. But writing comes first. I think it was Terrence Winter, and I apologize if I miss um, miss us appropriating this uh, quote. Uh, but he was on a podcast I listened to years ago, and he said that when he moved to L.A., I believe he was an attorney first, and then he moved to L.A. Mm -hmm. And when he moved here, and he's the creator of Boardwalk Empire, and he worked on The yeah. Sopranos, really well-known, talented writer. Great writer. But he said he moved here, and his friends would be like, hey, let's go to a Dodgers game. And he'd say, no, I haven't earned it yet. And he would mm -hmm. not allow himself to go have fun until he had done the work he had assigned himself to do. Yeah. And that's a level of dedication, discipline, and professionalism that I think you have to have to make it. And it obviously works. Look at him. But yeah. you got to pay your bills. you got to eat, right? So yeah. for him, it's you know it's sacrificing where other people are not willing to sacrifice. I think is the answer. Right. Yeah. How bad do you want it? So well, yeah, you can't. You got to make choices. And we talked about this before. It's, uh, you know, sacrifice is a. It basically means to make holy, right? It's you're making something sacred. So you're turning, you're exchanging something for something else to get something better. Which I think is a podcast that's coming up. Is yeah, long term focus over short term gratification. I guess that makes sense. Sacrament. Yeah. All right, uh, Grizzly Hanif. Gri Grizzly Hanif. Uh, Hanif. I don't know. I apologize, Grizzly. How do you balance writing multiple scripts? Uh, like I wonder if they're talking about me or you. I think like it's a question. It's a question for you, and and I think that that might speak to one, right? But how yeah. do you, as someone who is writing multiple projects, you know, you've sold two or three projects recently with your writing partner, yeah. and you're writing your own books, your your own essays. Yeah. How do you balance that? Well, it depends what we're doing, but uh, I, I don't have too many projects at any one time. It's only a couple, so it's not that hard. If we're running a show, then we have a bunch of scripts out and we have to keep them all in mind. And, uh, you know, and yeah, you look at the outlines, you look at the notes. Um, that's that's the hard part of the job. But in terms of projects, I don't have, uh, I think a lot of people, the one, if we're talking about an aspiring writer, or an emerging writer, I think they'll often have multiple scripts because they get bored by their own work. And well, I'll just do this now because I'm stuck here. I'll just do this now. And so the problem with that is they're struggling. They don't know what they're doing. And so they're just they're just putting it off by starting a new project and never finishing anything. And so that's not good. That's why education can help. Where if you understand story structure, you shouldn't be struggling as much. You, you shouldn't be getting bored by your own work. 
Right. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to finish, get to the point when we talked about that in a previous podcast. How do you know when you're done, this this project mm-hmm. done? You set it aside, you go write something else, and you're going to come back, you're probably going to rewrite some stuff. It's probably going to see yeah. a bunch of holes, some things you can fix, things you can improve. But that's just because yeah. you got better because you wouldn't put in time on another project. So, yeah. But I think that's a great point. Like When you're running a show, you are running a show and you're doing a lot of a lot of episodes, a lot of storylines going at the same time. Yeah. So. Yeah. And often I'll say to the writer, what's going on? What's the story about again? Refresh my memory because <laughs> I can't remember, you know, 10 episodes at the same time. All right. Johnny JK 01. How does your workday look as a feature writer versus a TV writer? Well, I don't really work much in film. I film. I, we've, my partner, we've sold two, uh, but we've since stayed in television. I, you know, I don't really know. I mean, your feature writer... You know, you're working from your house probably more, and it's it's not collaborative. You're alone, and you you're dealing with a producer. A producer's giving you notes, and you're going back, and you're you're banging your head against the wall. But on TV show, it's collaborative. You have a writing staff, so if you have if you get stuck on a scene, you you bring it in front of the staff, and you say, "Hey, let's talk about this some more." Yeah, great. All right, uh, colors by Sec C E K. Does it really matter where you go to college or university to study screenwriting? How much of an impact does it make on your career? Are the prestigious schools really what they make themselves out to be? I don't think, no, I don't think so. I think what you can get from, it's important to learn you know, screenwriting and study it somewhere, but the degree itself is worthless. Uh, no one's going to ask to see your degree. They're going to want to know if you can write. And if you and if that, te- that school teaches you how to be a good writer, then it's worth something. But the degree itself will not open any doors. No one cares. I've never hired anybody. I've never asked to see their degree. I never want to see their GPA. It means nothing to me. So the education is worth something, but the degree is worthless, I think. Uh, but uh, and also, if you go to a school, you may, if it's a prestigious school, your your fellow students may grow up to be successful uh, directors and, and people that you can work with in the future. So it's good to network with those people because they'll, you know, they'll, a rising tide raises all boats. But, um, but you can get the, the knowledge without having the degree. Yeah. As someone with a degree, I concur. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Darnowski. How many credits does a writer need to have if they want to become a creator or a showrunner? Yeah, how many credits? It's like, um, it doesn't really work like that. I mean, we were writers for 10 years before someone decided we were ready to be showrunners. And even then, we weren't sure if we were ready. It's it's a big leap. Uh, there was talk earlier, like I, I know some people who become showrunners you know, maybe after four or five, and it's it's, it's a little scary uh, because there's so much to learn and so much to know. So it's not even about credits. It's like, it, I know everyone wants to be a showrunner. Uh, I, I would just don't like just worry about being a writer first. It's 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 so freaking hard. There's so much you have to know, and that's why they get paid so much money. Is because you know you got to know how to do it. I, it's I, I wouldn't just learn how to write first, one step at a time. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I think it, the, that question kind of speaks to a, a lack of understanding of how the process works. And it's not like you apply for that job, right? Like that's right. a job that you are given or assigned because you have enough clout and credit and respect for the accomplishments right. you have. Or you've sold something and you have enough clout credits right. and and respect for what you've done so because yeah. we had, I asked time, that question early on go ahead 
Well, the first time we were hired as showrunners, like I'm sure that was Michael he Michael Eisner hired us for Glenn Martin. I'm sure he was nervous because we had never run a show before and he had a right to be nervous. We had a lot of animation experience, but he was like, can you do this? And my partner was like, yeah, we could do it. <laughs> Very unconvincingly. So he had a right to be nervous and we were nervous. It's like, it's a big, it's a big deal to give someone that break. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I asked that question early on too. Like if I sold the show, am I automatically the showrunner? And you're like, nope. No. And you may not even no. be an executive producer, right? Oh, you probably not. You'll that. probably be, yeah, but you'll probably be a low level or mid-level writer. You're not going to, they're not going to, it's, it's such a big deal that they're not going to trust their investment to someone who has no idea how to do it. Sure. Sure. Awesome. That's the end of our professional. We've got a couple aspirational and one general. I think we can get these done in a couple minutes here and, and wrap this up. Yep. No need to split into a third episode on the Ask Me Anything episode of Michael Jamin's screenwriting podcast. Yeah. Uh, Nate, the Nate Gillen, or Gillen. I'm so horrible with these pronunciations. I apologize, everybody. As the medium for television seems to shift from networks to streaming platforms, Whose staff should I try to join as a PA and eventually a writer to pitch a show to after years of experience, of course? Netflix, Disney, a studio like FX. And I Whoever think will hire you. That's, yeah. Is that what you yeah. That's exactly There's no wrong saying. answer. Whoever think, will hire you and those writers will bounce. If they're on a network show, next year they'll be on a streaming show. Like they'll bounce around. There's We don't, we don't care, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, we're like, hey, who's hiring? We'll take the job. Yeah, I think um, I can speak to this as someone who has been a PA for the last several years in multiple aspects. Um, whatever job you can get, the, finding a job is the hard part. Like yeah. it is so hard to find a PA job where you can get brought on that you could then have to build a reputation. And it's not like you stick with a studio or, or a production company. I mean, you're typically moving with that crew of people. Your production mm -hmm. office coordinator likes you, so as an office PA, they hire you on the next show. Your uh, set PA and the first AD likes you, or the second AD likes you, or the second second likes you, so they bring you on to the next one. You move with the people, not necessarily the people making the show. There are some circumstances, you know, I've, I've been working with uh, A24 for a couple seasons now on Tacoma FD, and I did have some conversations with them where they said, hey, we would like to continue to work with you, and so I've built that relationship of trust over several seasons with them and I could probably go to them and say hey I'm looking for a job and they'd recommend me to stuff but I also have plenty of other relationships that I could probably just move to the next project or the next project with the groups of people I've worked with so it's yeah. just networking and you've got to get the yeah. job first so don't yeah. don't don't feel like you're plotting out an entire career based on what job you get as a PA that's just not going to happen right right cool exactly uh, we're going to get into some questions that are very similar here right and so I I just want to give the, these people, because they asked the question, some, some clout here. But they are very similar to the things you've already answered many times. As an aspiring screenwriter, what is one of the best ways to gain exposure? Where is a good outlet to present your work to gain potential opportunity? That's 99Jack. And then I'm going to do Kimmy, Naomi. What are the best ways to get your writing out there and known to attract bigger opportunities these days? And she talks about how you used to be blogging. Is it festivals? Is it shorts? Um kind of smashing yeah. them together, right? Yeah, but it's it's anything. It's like, sure, you can apply to some of the bigger screenwriting festivals, the big ones, not the little ones. Uh, the ones you've heard of are, you know, they might be worth something, you know, Sundance or Nichols or- uh, Austin, or, uh, television. Austin, yeah, yeah. Those are good ones, but the smaller ones are, you know, they're just money-making operations. Uh, so that's what you could do that. 
but also just put your work anywhere you put your work out there. Shorts, sure. Make a TikTok channel and put your work up there, you know, in three minutes. Make a name for yourself. Uh, learn Every time you create something, uh, you know, is, is a good experience. You'll learn from it. You know, a lot of people think it's about networking with people like me, and it's not. You don't have to network with people like me. You can network with people like you. And so you could find fellow filmmakers just out of college or people uh, in college or, you know, students or whatever, and just start making stuff together. Get a group of actors, writers, may build a community because those people are going to rise up. If they're serious about it, they're going to rise up. They're going to have little opportunities. Hey, I just booked an actor is going to say, I just booked a commercial or a writer is going to say, oh, I just got, I just, you know, did a tiny little thing for somebody I wrote the, and whatever it is, it's going to look, whoa, that's interesting. That And you're going to surround yourself with these people and all these little opportunities, you're going to learn about their opportunities and maybe they're going to bring you in on stuff or maybe you're be inspired. Oh, I could, I could write something like that. I can stage a play and you're building your community of people and someone's going to pop and you're going to pop, you know, and that's how you rise up. You don't have to start at the top. You don't have to get your hands in Steven Spielberg's lap to make it in Hollywood. You, all you got to do is get, build yourself a little community and that's whoever you want to be with. And that's, that's why I encourage people to move to LA because a lot of those people happen to be in LA, right? If you, you, people come to LA to make that dream happen. Can you do it and stay where you are? I guess, but you're going to find more people out here trying to do it. Yeah. LA is also a great sift. Uh, it's a sifter of people. A lot of people are going to move here. A lot of people are going to fall out. There's a lot of attrition. People are going to leave and they're, they're not going to make it. You know, I moved here with a bunch of people from film school. Most of them have left the business or have moved back home because just didn't they didn't have what it took or they didn't feel like they could devote or, the time or just or how yeah. serious did they take it did they make it did those film students did they ever actually try to make anything no the answer is no no right the answer is no right because it's it's easier to dream about something it's zero risk to think it or dream it or say you're doing it it is a lot right. of risk personally and financially and professionally to go out and try to do something but i don't know anyone who's ever not someone for trying. I hear a lot no. of people, it, it's people want to save face with family and friends or relationships they have back at home or wherever it is who said you're never going to make it. And so it's, it's easier to say you don't want to do it. Like I have a friend, really talented writer, puts in more effort than anyone I know writing. He writes all the time, but he never finishes anything. And he never submits anything. He never sends anything out. He, he's turned down PA jobs I've tried to give him. He's done all these things because, and this is like super deep, He's afraid of failing his father. Like his father told him he's not going to make it. And so any mm -hmm. tertiary job related to film that is not film counts because there's zero stake in it. Yeah, but, I, you know, it's sad. But you have to start – like success doesn't look like what you think it looks like. Success doesn't look like a giant check from a studio to make your movie. It looks like some opportunity that's beneath you. It looks like you making a student film, shooting it on your iPhone, and posting it to YouTube. And what's the budget? $30. I mean, that's what it looks I mean, there's no reason why you can't do that. You know, you need better sound, maybe more than $30. But you don't need uh, $50,000 to make your movie. No, you could do it on your phone. You need good sound. And you need pay people in pizza. That's how you do it. And people you know? will happily do it for pizza. People yeah. are starving in LA, man. It's expensive. It's actually cheaper yeah. right now, by the way, to eat out than it is to buy groceries. So just keep that in mind. That's the yeah, inflation world. Yeah. All right. Uh, last question here, and then one in general. Is writing and yeah. directing the best way to get your name out there? Well, any way to get – like whatever you're doing, 
whatever, like making a film with your neighbor, already you're exposing yourself to more people than just staying in your basement and doing nothing. Yeah, and the short answer, the reason I suffer this one, the short answer is, what do you want to do? Do that. Do that as much as you can. Do it every chance you can. Put it mm-hmm. out there as many times, as much as you can, no matter what, and embrace the fact that you're going to suck at it. Like That's new. Yeah. It's not meant to be easy for you. Suck it up. And there's zero stakes right now because nobody knows who you are. And that's great. You know what, though? I, I've told the story before, but uh, like a couple of months ago, a, a stu- I, I know a girl I went to high school with, her son is now uh, a student at a film school. And uh, he lives in L.A. And they were cat- they needed people uh, to be in her student film. And they asked if I wanted to do it. And like, I'm not an actor, so I didn't want to do it. But, but if I was an actor, because they needed a, a guy my age, if I was an actor, I would have done it. Why? Because those kids, that crew of five people, you know, sure, they're just dumb students at a film school. No, they're going to, someone is going to rise up and become, make a name for themselves. And so why wouldn't I not want to, you know, get to know that person? And so it may feel like, well, but yeah, but that's an, that's an opportunity for five years or 10 years from now, you know, get into, get it, build a circle for yourself. There's no reason, like I didn't want to do it because I don't want to be an actor, but there's no reason if I wanted to, I would have done it. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, and we haven't talked about this much. I just let you know this last week, but I actually have a couple of producers who've hired me to write a spec feature. That's just an mm-hmm. indie feature. It's not anything guild related. That's my first paid work. It's uh, amazing. That, that opportunity, yeah, it's huge. And that opportunity comes from they needed help producing a sizzle reel in New Mexico, in 2015. And I showed up and I devoted all my time for a weekend to them. I spent tons of time. I spent some of my own money taking care of people and getting things done and impress them enough that that with the help of your course and your mentorship and the time I put into being here in Hollywood and working in mm-hmm. P- as a piano, all these things, um, I finally have writing samples that impress them enough. This is, yeah. they, if you can hit a budget, it's producible and it's good enough writing, right? They're going to send it off, you know, so they're going to take it and they're going to submit it to production companies to try to get made as an indie film. And awesome. that's fantastic. Right. And that's because you put yourself out there and you didn't, and you know, nothing was beneath you and you didn't think you had to start at the top. Because you don't, you can't. Yeah. So, and I apologize. I missed one question here. It's from Hershey Barr, B-A-R-R. How do you know when you're, you're ready to sell your script? Another one you've answered When someone offers to, when someone offers you money for it, but it's kind of, I think we kind of hit on a little bit already. It's like, if you give your script to somebody and, people enjoy when they want to turn the page you might have something if it's if it's a not you know if you can't get even your best friend to say it's good then it's not ready and again your goal is not to sell it your goal is to impress someone with your writing so that you have other opportunities so don't even think about it it's not about selling your script everyone wants to make money how about you just learn how to become a good someone that people that you you know that you're in demand if you're a good writer you will be in demand learn how to write first and then doors will open. But if it's all if it's only about lining your pockets, you know, what do you think is going to happen? Yep. Yep. All right. That wraps it up for the aspirational section. One question in general. It's from Christopher mm-hmm. Rings. Do you right. have a favorite meta description of screenwriters in media? I think of the I Love Lucy writer's room and being the Ricardos. Oh. This is more oh, personal yeah. question for you. It's not about your yeah, own yeah, I watched that and I enjoyed that. Uh, it's funny. I mean, Aaron Sorkin is a fantastic writer. Uh, I was a little surprised when I watched that. And Aaron Sorkin knows what a writer's room is. I mean, you know, he's run writer's rooms. He's been in writer's rooms. 
Uh, I was a little surprised about when I watched that. It was the cat. I don't remember the character, uh, but she's a female writer on, on For Lyle Lucy, and she was giving it to Lucille Ball in the in the movie. She was giving it to her. And I'm like, whoa, I've never been on a writing staff where a staff writer talked to the star that way. <laughs> now, that's not to say it didn't happen, because maybe it did. You know, you know, I don't know about the past, but I was surprised when I saw that. I was like, whoa. In 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 general, we don't we don't talk to actors that way. We don't uh uh yeah, we don't yell at them, we especially the star. We don't call them out because they'll fight you, they'll get you fired. <laughs> So no one wants to get fired. Um, so I'm not sure if that's a, an accurate, although I totally enjoyed that movie. And I, and I, watching it, I was like, oh, I wonder if that's how it was. I, you know, I don't know. I wasn't there. So is there a, an accurate depiction? I, I thought- It's really more uh, your favorite. I think the question is favorite, not necessarily accurate. Oh, okay. It could be, could be accurate. It could be both. I always liked on the Larry, and I haven't seen it in 20 years, but on the Larry Sanders show, I always liked the way the actor, well, Jeremy Piven was per, uh, portrayed on the Larry, as the writers, because those guys were never happy. <laughs> they were joke writers and they were never happy. And they always aspired to do more, sell a screenplay or whatever. And I, that felt real to me. Uh, or It felt funny to me. I, and I haven't worked in late night television, so I don't know if it's accurate, but I thought that was hilarious. That's awesome. I really loved was it Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, which I brought up before. To, uh, mm-hmm. I think it's Aaron Sorkin as well, and it's like a Saturday yeah. Night Live type show behind the scenes. Really yeah. moving, really moving. One of the most beautiful Christmas episodes of anything I've ever seen. Really touching. Yeah. So. Uh, and then there's 30 Rock portrayed actor, uh, writer, the writing staff, but not really. Uh, they quickly ditched that because the gold was not in the writing staff. The, watching people write is not interesting. Watching actors become idiots that's more interesting than watching writers at a table so awesome well that's the end of your ask me anything michael two two parter done um any other thoughts questions anything you want to put out to the to your audience just the normal stuff we got lots of free resources for people who want to go get it we got free downloads of sample scripts we have we should you know one thing we don't talk about is you have your um you have a, a, a bunch of free samples that you have available of your yep. writing. Um, yeah. I'll pull up the URL here if you want to start talking about the other one. I apologize, I don't have that ready. Yeah, that we have uh, that we have a free lesson on on screenwriting at michaeljammon.com slash free. Uh, uh, definitely get that. We have a, our watch list, which is our weekly newsletter with tips. You should be on that. michaeljammon.com slash watch list. I post daily on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook at, at michaeljammonwriter. This is all free, guys. Uh, and then of course there's some downloads for scripts that I've written. If you want to, you know, study those or look at the formatting. Uh, I know it's on our, I know it's available on the website, michaeljammon.com. I know you can, Phil's going to give you the right URL. Yeah, I'll get it. And it, it, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put a link in the show notes here. So just go check that out. Cause it's going to be a, it's going to take me a second to pull this up. Um, I've done yeah. a poor job of making it really accessible. So I will get that fixed today. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll You can always go to michaeljammon.com slash uh, there's a free stuff tab at the top. Um, mm-hmm. And you can just hit that and it'll be in there. So yeah, that's cool. it. All right, everyone. Thank you so much, Phil. Thank you for joining me here. My pleasure as always. Um, love, love what you're doing with the interviews, by the way. They're great. I'm learning a ton from from listening to those. Um, Some good stuff. This yeah. podcast is evolving. It's pretty cool to, to be a part of it and see what you're doing and have those behind the curtains with some of those uh, pretty powerful and interesting writers that I don't think people yeah. want people thinking about. So, yeah. All right. Thank you, everybody. Keep writing. Thank you. Until next time. This has been an episode of Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jammin and Phil Hudson. 
If you'd like to support this podcast, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing this podcast with someone who needs to hear today's subject. For free daily screenwriting tips, follow Michael on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Michael Jammin Writer. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Phil A. Hudson. This episode was produced by Phil Hudson and edited by Dallas Crane. Until next time, keep writing.